0: It was said in a previous interview here on the AI and Industry podcast, I believe it was with one of the machine vision companies we interviewed that was from Montreal, uh, it was said that cameras of the future will be made and set up to be interpreted and made sense of and have their input sent to machines, not to be used by humans. And I think that that's increasingly the case. Cameras are better, cameras are smaller, cameras are getting better, and they are getting smaller. Uh, And they're increasingly being used for automotive, uh, for security, for manufacturing, for all kinds of applications where 99.99% of the time it's machines making sense of that information and prompting humans when need be. And I think when it comes to making sense of people, there's one good place to look and that's in the face. Determining emotion in human beings is in fact big business. Uh, certainly for advertising, but also in spaces like automotive, where we might want to know how aware or awake a driver is, how distracted or not distracted uh, a driver is, how bored or excited someone is in a certain environment. Uh, And the ability to sort of understand emotion in machines, I think, will be something that we'll see more and more of in the years ahead. Not that many companies focus specifically on that topic. Probably one of the best known examples is the guest that we have this week on the AI and Industry Podcast. Rana el Kalyubi uh, is PhD, and she's also a CEO and founder of Affectiva. Uh, we've actually mentioned Affectiva a few times at techemergence.com, looking at facial detection applications across various industries. But in this interview, Rana goes into, um, even outside of advertising, where is understanding human emotion with machine vision a valuable value add in some way to a business. In various sectors, where could it be used? Uh, Where does she believe it will be used more often in the future? So for any business tuned in who's leveraging cameras, uh, who needs to understand the engagement or emotion of people leveraging its products or services, uh, this may in fact be a very, very handy interview. So without further ado, uh, I'm Dan Fagella. This is Artificial Intelligence in Industry, and you're listening to Rana from Affectiva. All right, so Rana, where I wanted to start off is just talking about the applications of sort of emotional AI as they exist today in the real world. I think we can all imagine a future where robots can pick up on whether we're happy or sad, or maybe our stereo can do the same when we get into our car, get into our home. In terms of where AI is currently being used to kind of detect and respond to human emotion, give us a bit of the lay of the land there.
1: Absolutely. So the idea behind emotion AI, exactly how you said it, is is this idea that a computer can detect and respond to human emotion. And of course, emotions are a very important component of how we interact with the world around us, and it drives everything from you know, the decisions we make, how we learn and how we engage and connect with one another. So businesses are really interested in building an emotional connection with their consumers and users. And they really want to understand if they've successfully, you know, built that connection and they want to measure how strong that emotional connection is with their users. And one area where this is really a pain point is in the market research space. So we work with a third of the Fortune 100 companies, to test their advertising content worldwide. Their online video ads and their online, you know, and their TV ads were worldwide. And there the problem they face is they spend millions of dollars, you know, putting together and creating these ads and they want to drive an emotional connection with their viewers, but they have no idea if they were successful or not. They don't know if the ad was funny or not, was it offensive, was it boring, is it going to drive purchase behavior, which we know you know, an emotional connection does drive and influence purchase yep. decisions very strongly. Um, and so, you know, before our technology existed, brands would have people watch ads. And then after the fact, they would say, okay, did you like the ad? Was it engaging enough? Yeah. Which is a very cognitive and biased yep. measure, right? Yeah,
0: totally. Yeah. If you, if you, any social science at all in college, you're fully aware of just how horrendously flawed that is as an idea.
1: Exactly. So what we do instead, you know, our, our emotion AI technology measures both facial and vocal expressions of emotions. And I can talk a little bit about how the technology works. Yeah, we'll dive into that, yeah. But the idea is you're you 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 know, you get you're about to view a, an online video ad. You get asked if you're okay with your camera turning on while you watch the ad. If you say yes, and that could be on your laptop, it could be on your TV, it could be on your phone. If you say yes, the camera turns on and it's watching your minute expressions as you engage with this content. So it can detect things like your smile or if you are surprised and you raise your eyebrows or if you're frowning or if you're smirking because you're not really believing you know, the message in this ad. And it does that at about 15 to 30 frames a second, and we aggregate all that data across many viewers, and we're able to provide to the brand a moment-by-moment breakdown of your emotional response to this content.
0: Got it. So if you don't mind, we can poke a little bit into this and just get an e- an example here. So you had mentioned this is both for online and, and somehow for TV as well. Now, I imagine that would be kind of some sort of stream service on a laptop. Let me know what you meant by that.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean... In the U.S., a lot of the work we do is online, so you get sent a URL and you're asked if you want to participate in sharing your data. But in other countries, for instance, in China or India, where we also do a ton of work, that tends to be more location-based. So you're in a mall and you get intercepted and you get asked if you want to kind of view an ad on a laptop oh, or a device.
0: interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's curious. So you'll, you'll set up a booth somewhere or, or whatnot. And maybe you're marketing cosmetics, or maybe you're marketing whatever it is within a mall environment apparel, and just sort of garnering a response from a mall visitor, hey, how do you feel about this? And then kind of collecting that information in the same way
1: exactly got it and, and
0: so yeah you're looking at facial expressions go ahead
1: you, you're in the middle of saying something well we don't do this our, i mean we are a technology company right of so course. we course yeah. the technology to market researchers who are already in the business of intercepting people in malls right yes all we do is we we provide them with our technology so that they could collect that data
0: yeah it's a more interesting business so i'd rather be in those in those boots any day of the week maybe i'm just the only guy that doesn't like malls but with with it with that being said you're picking up in these kind of facial expressions. I imagine that the idea here is that, you know, with enough of these folks, we can kind of get around a little bit of the selection bias. I guess part of the the arguments with the the Nielsen reports, and people can Google that if they want to, and, and these other sort of aggregated bits of sentiment around what people watch is that there's certain people that'll say, yes, I'll be, I'll allow myself to be, you know, part of your statistics. And similarly, there's there's some people that'll say, yes, I'll let you turn on my camera as I watch an ad, and that maybe that would be slightly more appealing to some groups than others. It behooves you to say it has no difference. I understand that, and it's okay if you're kind of forced to say that. But I would also understand if there were some groups that were more responsive than others, because my gut tells me, man, I think my dad would be really jumping in his boots here But I think someone who's maybe twenty-two would be like, whatever, man. What have been your experiences there with kind of different groups responding to this kind of new technology?
1: We have found, I mean, just just so you know the numbers, we have now tested over twenty-six thousand ads worldwide. And we've collected over six million facial responses again in eighty-seven countries around the world. So we you know, so this is you know, business happening day in, day out at this point. And what we found is that there are you know, differences, cultural differences in people's willingness to turn the camera on. Yeah. So we found wow. that, for instance, Germany has the lowest opt-in rates, and we always opt in. <laughs> Funny. A, yeah, and I guess it's not surprising, right? They're pretty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Data privacy, and and we we're very adamant that everything we do is on an opt-in basis. People know that the camera's for sure. on, for sure. Right, but still, you know, we see differences in people's
0: I imagine yeah and so that, that's got to be factored in for the brands I mean it's because it's not you're not necessarily having everybody respond to it but you are still getting a, a set and it's it's certainly there's certainly a lot of validity sure there's some people that say yes and no and maybe that skews things but at the same time you're getting real-time responses that's super valuable I can totally see the, the validity there and also if you're doing market research in a mall environment then maybe it's it's an even broader scope. So you guys can kind of widen the lens where it's not just people that respond to an email and say yes in an ad, it's people who are in an environment already shopping for those kind of things. And they're agreeable enough to say yes. And so maybe you're even, you can kind of broaden the lens with other methods than just simple kind of email introduction stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Cool. Okay. So yeah, I'm just imagining if I was a business using this sort of what would be the important considerations. So advertising is one, and you guys are working with a lot of gargantuan brands on that right now. My guess is, again, and just to touch on one example before we talk a bit about the future, because I know you guys are thinking a lot about where this technology applies in sort of future scenarios. Let's say, you know, I'm a company selling, I don't know, maybe it's like apparel or fashion stuff. I'm just using a completely random example. I know nothing about that world, as would be blatantly obvious if you ever saw me at, at an event. (laughs) Um, (laughs) my, my, I dress in the dark, but, but let's just say that somebody's working in that world. My guess is they're trying to get a sense of, you know, when these different wardrobes are coming on, you know, and we're displaying this in front of a man, and this is like a bunch of sort of different men's outfits or sort of scenarios that we're displaying in this 10 second, 30 second commercial, whatever the case may be is, you know, do they seem interested and intrigued? Do do we get a lot of glossed over looks, like more so than we do with another version of the ad where people seem more attentive? Like my guess is you guys translate faces into kind of scores for different sorts of expressions, whether it's like intensity of attention, whether it's like, you know, all the traditional human emotions that are common with other primates, like disgust and joy and fear. And, you know, what is, I guess, the output for brands when they throw enough of these in, in front of, you know, willing participants?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So you're absolutely right. We use machine learning and specifically deep learning networks that are able to identify about 20 different facial expressions. So things like a smile or a smirk or an eyebrow raise or a frown or a squint, right? Or like none of that at all if you're poker-faced and you're just like... <laughs> and then all these get combined into a number of key measures that advertisers are looking at. One is the level of attention. So are you even paying attention to yeah, this ad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? The second is level of, we call it valence, which is one of the main measures of or main dimensions of emotions. It's how positive or negative you are. And the face is a great channel for communicating this type of information. You can pretty quickly tell if a person is engaged positively or, or kind of really like portraying negative emotions through the face. So that's an important measure. And sometimes advertisers want to strike a positive chord with the viewers. And sometimes you actually want, you know, we see that a lot in, in sentimental advertising. You want people to tear up. You really want (laughs) the expressions of disgust. If you know, we don't see that a ton of a lot, but we have seen examples of that. And so so as an advertiser or a content creator you want to ensure that you're striking the right emotional chord that you designed the ad to do. We also look at the overall level of engagement. So we, you know, again we test a ton of ads. A lot of the kind of shampoo ads tend to just be very boring and we it's just not emotionally engaging. People are just tuned out, right? Yep. Whereas whereas the ads that tend to be more successful are better at evoking facial expressions and it doesn't have to necessarily be positive but we see a lot of it like you you know you're engaged you're you're animated and to you know they tend to correlate better with purchase decisions they tend to be more likely to go viral they tend to be a lot more like associated positively with a brand more memorable, like all of the things that you as an advertiser want to, all of the KPIs that you want to hit.
0: Completely see the validity. And you're talking about KPIs. Just to, to quickly touch on that and add some color to it as, as we get into our last question. This is great. The It sounds like you are tracking these metrics that you have, which is, you mentioned valence, which is sometimes you hear things like sentiment, but you guys are using a term which might have entirely different meanings, but more or less I'm, I'm gauging that this has to do with the positive or negative sort of Affect, you know to use your company name here uh, that people are displaying. There's level of attention That's certainly important to tune into I imagine there's a lot of small elements of people's faces that Adjust that maybe that's even different culturally, but then I would imagine as a brand you'd really want to mesh this with How well does this translate to clicks? How well does this translate to purchases and cart value? How well does this translate to shares and comments and engagement And it sounds like that is part of the picture. So if people can say, hey, look, you know, we're getting a lot more attention on this one, but we're really seeing slightly less sales. Is there a reason? Are we getting attention for the wrong reasons? Should we maybe rejigger the emotions we're appealing to or rejigger the introduction to maybe be more product focused so that people don't just laugh, but they, they actually think about buying? My thought is that maybe those things are all wrapped up into kind of the same dashboard here.
1: Exactly. So early on, we had to demonstrate that your emotional response to an ad is actually correlated or predictive of your behavior, whether it's purchased or sharing, etc. And so we had to go through very extensive kind of data validations with a number of brands around the world, you know, testing different products. So we've looked at chocolate ads, we've looked at chewing gum, we've looked at pet food. And we essentially correlated your emotional response to your purchase intent, as well as true purchase behavior and your propensity to sharing. And in all of these, we found that the more emotional response and specifically kind of the dynamics of it, like how, it, how your emotions unfold over time as you watch this content is very highly predictive of what you're going to do post the ad.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it makes intuitive sense. But of course, as a brand, if I was a guinea pig for what you guys are doing, I would, of course, want the same thing, and so my guess is your early work really had to do with proving that out. And uh, even, I mean, even if I knew for a fact that what you said was generally the case, I would still want to look at KPIs next to, you know, attention and next to facial expression and the rest of that. And obviously, it's a valid part of the the conversation. But this clearly carries forward beyond ads. You know, when I look at what's on the Affectiva site now, you guys are focused a lot on, you know, automotive in addition to your advertising work. Maybe you're focused on other areas too you know when when you guys you know I find that most startups you know who are growing quickly and they, they really need to have a vision for the future, they have an idea of where their core tech fits into kind of the future technology landscape as you guys look ahead for the next you know five years, where does this sort of emotional AI really tune in and make a difference to You know, business owners and consumers, you know, two to five years out in the future, where do you see this really hitting the ground running where people like me would just know that it exists just by bumping around in the city?
1: So, we have a very exciting vision. So, the thesis here is that AI is becoming mainstream, right? True. It's manifesting in all sorts of technologies and devices around us. But the emphasis for the most part is on the cognitive intelligence part of AI. So, you know, devices, conversational devices are becoming more robust to our language and they, you know, they understand intent, but for the most part, they do not have any social or emotional intelligence. And that's what we're changing. And that manifests in really, you know, everything from your device, understanding how you're feeling your phone, for instance to automotive. And that's an area where we're spending, I would say the vast majority of our time kind of penetrating and exploring this market because it's undergoing major disruption. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it
0: was the most boring place in the universe and now it's becoming pretty darn exciting. In terms of painting your vision into automotive, maybe give us a thought of, you're probably exploring a lot of things that Lord knows if they'll work out or not, but there's maybe others that you really feel optimistic about making a difference in that automotive space maybe chat about a few of those that we might see in the next half a decade
1: yeah so and and there's a timeline here so on the shorter timeline and i think it's this is happening in the next couple of years if you think about semi autonomous cars so cars that for the most part can be driving themselves but they will need to know that there's a driver there and co-pilot is kind of more how we're thinking about it and the industry's thinking about it so it's this idea that there's a co-pilot and the car will need to, at times, hand back the control to the driver or the human being. And it needs to know if the driver is, is the driver awake? Is he or she tired, distracted, paying attention or not? Yeah. You know, from a safety perspective, this is a critical, it's a critical requirement for these semi-autonomous cars. And we're, you know, we're, we're working with a number of OEMs and tier one suppliers that are really prioritizing that and solving that problem.
0: Cool. So it seems like just to flesh this out. Sorry to interrupt. Attention and sort of state of the person. Clearly, again, if if all you could detect was are they sitting upright or not, you know, maybe that's just not good enough. You know, maybe they're sitting upright but they're playing Mario Kart on their phone, and, and or maybe they're sitting upright and they're looking ahead, but they are like fading fast, and their eyes are going through this kind of glazing pattern over and over that tends to correlate pretty well with. You know, sleepiness or intoxication. These are subtleties that are, go beyond just basic image detection, like human there, human not there. You know, so th- that that does make some intuitive sense.
1: Absolutely, and it's things like you know, are you yawning? or what's your blink rate look like? And nice. Um, See, this
0: is cool. What are some other little things like that? I like that blink rate. <laughs> well, what other little subtleties <laughs> are there? You know, to give away all the secret sauce. But what are some interesting things that are counterintuitive? I would have never thought of that.
1: Well, I think the other interesting one is as cars become a lot more conversational, like, you know, ha- have conversational interfaces, yep. these interfaces kind of put some cognitive load on you as a driver. And so understanding the level of cognitive load, that's becoming essential too. are you confused by, by what this thing is telling oh. you? Are you? Is it frustrating? Like it's talking at you or talking to you? Are you getting annoyed? Are you? You know, all these, all these subtle emotions that show up in conversations, um, every day they're, they're going to, you know, a conversational interface needs to understand these as well.
0: That's really interesting. So that would let you give feedback to the automotive companies so maybe the folks who are making the vehicles or some technology in the vehicles or the, the conversational agents in the vehicles. I, I know we're, we're talking a lot with nuance and I know nuance is, is talking about kind of doing a lot of voice stuff in automotive. They see it as an important platform as do you. Maybe that kind of feedback from facial or from from this emotional AI would let people know, you know, when we're prompting the user to do X, Y, and Z, what parts of those directions are easily understood? What parts of those directions are most challenging to understand and confusing? And what parts of those are like frustrating and annoying the user? And we really need to word it in a different way or prompt them in a different way. So it seems like there's, there's not just safety concerns, but maybe product improvement here as well.
1: Exactly. And then if you project beyond semi-autonomous vehicles, which is the L3, the class of vehicles to fully autonomous, so more of L4, L5, the concept of a car isn't about the driving anymore. It's not about like the ultimate driving machine. It's more about the in-cab experience. It's yep. more about what does it feel like being in this car? Because now you're an occupant, right? Like yep. there's no driving anymore. You've got all these robot can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> and a lot of the car companies are facing this existential threat what do they stand for when there's no driving anymore when the driving is commoditized and they're all thinking about the brand experience and the in-cab experience how do you personalize the temperature the music the content you know there a, a lot of these car companies are rethinking rethinking cars to be entertainment centers of the future
0: yeah uh, is
1: Man. it a game? Against- that, Right? Are you going to watch movies or play games, or maybe it's more of a social thing, or maybe it's your zen place. You know, you want it to be very quiet and zen, or productive. Like, who knows? And and I think that's what the car companies are interested in. And to to really materialize this vision, you need to understand the states of the occupants in the car. How many people are in the car? How are, how are they feeling? Are they stressed? Are they panicked? Are they engaged? Are they do they feel comfortable? all of these emotional and social states are becoming very important.
0: Yeah, you and know, I'm, I'm wary of where we are on time, but I, I too am interested by this broader vision because you can see how it would translate to other areas. You know, if you have an entertainment center within a home or if you have a really well-instrumented work environment or heavy machinery, you would also want similar kind of ongoing feedback about what is the user's experience in this environment like? And even what you had mentioned about looking at a user's face while you're prompting them with next steps. I know that Apple would probably have a lot more feedback. I'm on a MacBook right now. If they knew which parts of the setup process or which parts of downloading or deleting or doing things were sort of the most confusing, like they would know that Apple Mail is just the worst thing I've ever used in the world. If they saw that overt disgust on my face every time it popped up when I clicked on somebody's email address. So it, it would seem like that could translate to, to other areas too, just for the, for the listeners. I know you guys are focusing on automotive, but I, I just want to make sure that I'm not being too out of bounds here by saying that, hey, there's probably a lot of other interesting feedback loop applications for that kind of tech.
1: Absolutely. And that is kind of the opportunity and the challenge we face as a little startup, right? Yeah, like there, yeah. There's definitely applications in social robotics, conversational interfaces, call centers, because we don't just do face, we do voice as well. We can read your emotion okay. through your tone of voice. So yeah, there's a ton of applications.
0: Yeah. And ever, you got to pick your battles, right? Amazon start with books, Facebook start with Harvard. You, you got to do what you're doing. And, and I completely understand ads and automotive to be a uh, good beachhead so wishing you guys excellent luck in that vision ahead i can't wait for the entertainment center version of vehicles because i yeah sick sick of shifting gear and i think everybody's sick of traffic so i'm rooting for you on that one i really appreciate you being able to share some of your perspective with us here on ai and industry thank you so
1: much thank you for having me
0: and regular coverage of the ai applications of both the hottest startups here in the bay area as well as what fortune 500 companies are doing with ai today everything from marketing and advertising business intelligence to specific industries like finance and healthcare you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com and when you're there make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left hand side of the page Uh, Most of our podcast listeners get the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. I'm Dan Figella, This is AI in Industry, and we'll catch you next week.